From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. Today we're talking about psychoanalytic theory with Dr. Michael Miller, a clinical psychologist and associate professor of Upstate's Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences. Thank you for being here, Dr. Miller. You're welcome. Pleasure. I feel like we need to start with a definition of what psychoanalytic theory means. Um, theory or therapy? Yes, <laughs> both. <laughs> okay. uh, well, um, psychoanalytic therapy is actually, uh, of all the psychotherapies, uh, really um, the, the first one to, to be elaborated in any modern sense. It, it's uh, the version of psychotherapy that Freud came up with and that, um, uh, you know, all of the current psychotherapies are in one way or another based on. The Freud theories? <laughs> yeah, Freudian, Freudian theory, sure. Um, it's, it's sort of based on the idea that, um, well, several ideas, but one being that the things that give us trouble, the symptoms that bring us to therapy have um, uh, a kind of meaning, right? That they're, they're, they're a way of expressing something that we are unaware of um, feeling or thinking uh, and that we've been avoiding. Um, and so uh, psychoanalytic therapy attempts to um, allow the person to speak in a way that can express those things um, and make the symptom that they're experiencing less necessary. Does it have anything to do with personality development? Uh, sure, yeah. There, there's a whole uh, set of theory about personality development within uh, psychoanalysis or psychoanalytic theory. Uh, that's often what people read about in their intro to psych textbooks, uh, you know, Freud's psychosexual stages, and that drives a lot of people away. <laughs> um, I had just seen, I mean, when you think about psychoanalysis, you think of Sigmund Freud, and mm -hmm. I thought that there was a lot that he did with um, talking about personality development. But I didn't major in psychology. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so. yeah, like he, he certainly did, um, and he talked about the ways that... Um, Personalities can be organized around different kind of moments of um, uh, interest or organization of your energy around around certain things. So that, uh, you know, some personalities um, become a lot more concerned about control um, of their time, of their money, of, uh, you know, of, of whatever it is. Um, other personalities become a lot more concerned with... Um, uh, how much they're desired by other people, um, uh, how other personalities become a lot more concerned with um, what they can get from other people. Um, so, uh, and Freud had ideas about what happens in infancy to, or not just infancy, but early childhood to, to sort of exaggerate those characteristics. Because all of this starts as young, right? The development of all of these traits sort of sure goes back to childhood, right? Yeah, yeah. So, for example, you know, um, the very now unpopular ideas about like the oral stage, for example, right? There's, there's a time in, in infancy where sort of everything happens at the level of the mouth, right? Like the kid is, is going to be fed or not going to be fed. Um, they're going to be crying or not. And when to stop them crying, a lot of the time you put something in their mouth. Uh, so, um, you know, Freud thought that... Um, uh, some people get sort of, like I said, kind of organized uh, around that. So they might become more of an oral character, um, yeah, for example. But, you know, that's not something that um, uh, more modern psychoanalysis is too concerned about most of the time. Yeah. 
So Sigmund Freud, has that, is, is he someone who um, has emerged as, is, are his theories like controversial today? Yeah, um, uh, they are. The thing about Sigmund Freud is that he's often uh, sort of used in, in psychology classes as sort of like almost a prop to be dismissed, right? You, you mm-hmm. get two paragraphs in a book about Sigmund Freud, and it is the, you know, oral anal genital stage uh, stuff. And, um, you know, Freud was obsessed with sex and violence, and now he's been debunked and we move, move on. Unfortunately, the people who write those textbooks have often never read a word of Sigmund Freud and um, actually throw out a lot of the much more valuable ideas uh, that he um, uh, contributed. Have others uh, who came after him built on those other pieces that maybe have more staying power? Uh, yeah. So, um, you know, Freud died in the 1930s, and there have been uh, a number of theorists who sort of built on and extended his work um, so that more modern uh, psychoanalytic theory is much more concerned with uh, uh, attachments, for example, between, uh, you know, attachment styles uh, that the person might have or uh, relational styles or... Um, uh, uh, what the um, nature of the unconscious is, uh, you know, some some theorists have really amplified uh, Freud's um, uh, elaboration of you know an unconscious part of the psyche. Interesting. So, does that help kind of change the definition of psychoanalytic theory um, that we kind of work with today? Um, yeah. So, you know, it's. Uh, it's difficult to talk about one psychoanalytic theory because there have been so many splinters and so many different theorists, you know, developing different areas. So, um, uh, for example, the psychoanalytic theory that I'm most interested in has uh, a lot to do with um, the way uh, unconscious um, thoughts work uh, and uh, their relationship to uh, language. Um, uh, so, you know, there's one area of it uh, that is alive and well today. So how would you help a, a client or patient who, um, you know, has something that they're not aware of within them? How do you pull that out of them? Uh-huh. Yeah. So uh, where psychoanalysis started, the first psychoanalytic patient um, uh, named it spontaneously the talking cure. And so, you know, it's always, always really sort of begins with and is centered around talking. So, uh, you know, a patient uh, might have a symptom and uh, they start talking about it. And there might be sort of, um, you know, little gaps and surprises like, you know, the famous like Freudian slip, right? You make a right. slip of the tongue and uh, the therapist is listening for those things that might seem insignificant that we didn't mean to say or words that come up again and again while the patient is talking about her experience. Uh, And if you think of those words as sort of like um, elevators (laughs) uh, that you can kind of take down a level uh, to stuff that maybe wasn't on the patient's mind at that moment, uh, but is still connected to their discourse about the symptom, then that can lead you to these unconscious contents that that are connected to the symptom and that might be driving it. So as a therapist, um, you really have to be a a brilliant listener to be able to pull this out or notice something that... 
at least a really hardworking listener. A hardworking yeah. listener. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Well, um, how does uh, how does psychoanalytic therapy differ from other psychological therapies? Yeah. Or does it? Uh, I think it does. Um, you know, there's a lot in common because they all sort of originated there. But uh, the other sort of major category of psychotherapy um, is called CBT, uh, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy. Um, and there are many of those, too. But the the big difference um, is the attention to the idea of an unconscious. Um, th- that's not really uh, necessary or, or a part of cognitive behavioral theory, which, you know, sees uh, symptoms as, and I'm, I'm oversimplifying here, but basically mm-hmm. sees them as questions of learning the wrong things, right? Like um, being exposed to... Um, uh, uh, you know, things in the environment that reinforce you to behave in certain ways, right? And so CBT is about challenging um, the habits of thought that you've learned that have become pathological and about changing the way you interact with your environment um, and uh, thereby, like, eliminating the symptom. Psychoanalysis doesn't even necessarily see the in- symptom to, uh, as inherently pathological. It doesn't see it as something that exactly needs to be eliminated. It sees it as something that needs to be learned from uh, and listened to. And that uh, when we listen to the symptom, uh, we can have a better idea of what's going on with the person. And then often the symptom sort of drops away and the person becomes more autonomous. This makes me think of that nature versus nurture question, Mm -hmm. almost. I mean, similar, right? If you're talking about psychoanalytic being things that are inherent in a person and the cognitive behavioral therapy model being more looking at the things that are outside, right? The influences from the environment and such. Uh, I think that both are concerned with the environment and and the ways that we've, like, maybe internalized it, Um, uh, you know, and, and psychoanalysis is also, you know, very much about looking at, at our history, you know. So in that sense, it it, um, it sees, and you were asking about personality development, right? It sees history as, as very important. It wouldn't see us as like, you know, uh, in the biological sense, right? Like uh, uh, biological theory right now is very interested in, do you have the gene for depression? And, you know, are you predisposed um, just sort of Fundamentally, uh, psychoanalysis like CBT does see history as extremely important. Let me remind listeners, this is Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, and I'm talking with Dr. Michael Miller, a clinical psychologist and associate professor in Upstate's Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences. He's also co-director of Upstate Student Counseling Services. Um, I want to ask you, how does a person find the, the therapist that is going to offer what they want. Um, because there's two different, well, there's more than two, but there, you we're talking about two different styles. Yeah, yeah. How does a, how does a patient locate the person that's gonna be best for them? Yeah. Um, you know, uh, the internet is a great resource. There are, uh, listings of, um, local, uh, mental health professionals and generally they will, um, indicate what their, uh, what we call theoretical orientation is. Uh, ah, okay. So, you know, on my spot, there's something that says, you know, psychoanalytic and, you know, on other people's, uh, they might say CBT or interpersonal or whatever it is that they're interested in. 
Are there certain um, mental health disorders that are better for a psychoanalytic treatment or not? Uh, I think that, you know, psychoanalytic treatment is applicable to uh, lots of things. Um, you know, uh, so no, I wouldn't necessarily <laughs> say that, that some are better than others. I, I think that maybe it's a lot more about what is the person uh, who's looking for help? Um, how are they willing to engage, right? Um, are they willing to sort of confront things that might be uncomfortable for them? Are they willing to realize that maybe there's more going on inside than they wanted to admit to themselves? Uh, or are they much more interested in uh, sort of getting the symptom out of the way in a, in a quick expedient manner mm. uh, yeah oh that's that's a good point just mm. sort of what they're wanting to get out of the whole yeah. thing yeah. um can you walk me through like psychoanalytic theory Do, is it ever paired with medications sure yeah it is yeah lots Sometimes. of people will will take a psychiatric medication and be in in therapy at the same time mm-hmm. um what about individual therapy versus group therapy is psychoanalytic ever part of a group therapy session or no? Yeah, there are groups that, that run based on those ideas for sure. And there's a whole psychoanalytic uh, literature uh, around group work. Um, uh, I think most often it is an individual thing, though, um, uh, because one unconscious is uh, so big already. <laughs> it's, okay. uh, it's quite a challenge to work with 10 at once. Yeah. Well, I wanted to ask you, too, uh, because you're active in the student counseling services, you're mm-hmm. a co-director. Um, does psychoanalytic theory uh, ever come up in your role there? Absolutely. Uh, it's how I work as a clinician. So it's it's always so it's just part of. Yeah, it's always active for me. Mm-hmm. What does student counseling service do here? Uh, well, we provide um, uh, individual therapy, we provide medication services, we provide uh, outreach um, to the university uh, community. Um, we're also providing uh, suicide prevention uh, training to all of the medical students. Uh, oh. So those are a few of the things. Neat. Is psychoanalytic therapy evidence-based? Do we know, do we have proof that it works? Yeah, psychoanalytic therapy uh, works, and um, the kind of evidence uh that we've used um, has changed over the years. Um, in the beginning, it was much more case study based, but as psychology um, uh, evolved and um, became more interested in replicable um, scientific results, it took psychoanalysis a little while to uh, catch up to that paradigm, but there's um, plenty of evidence out there uh, now. Well, thank you. This has been very informative. I appreciate your time. You're welcome. My guest has been clinical psychologist and associate professor Dr. Michael Miller, the co-director of Upstate Student Counseling Services. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.